Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I have a couple of little philosophies and I think you'd probably appreciate these. Um, Working for yourself is not for the faint-hearted. And I also say that you can't be a good salesman until you're 30. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shump and in this episode, we're chatting with David Shaw, CEO and founder of WSC Group. David Shaw and his team of 30 staff regularly give advice to property investors all around Australia. Follow his journey and advice here to help you propel into property investing. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. David Shaw is a property tax guru and has watched his company grow from humble beginnings to having six offices. I'm the CEO and founder of WSC Group and we're certified practicing accountants and the business has been going for about 15 years actually and uh, look, as the founder of the firm, I've seen it uh, grow from uh, just me, um, you know, doing uh, some work, uh, tax return work and other work at home to uh, we've now got uh, six offices, uh, 30 odd staff and uh, we do over 5,000 returns uh, for our clients uh, during the year. So um, uh, what started off, uh, I think, is, um, you know, my goal to have a reasonably small client base has changed a little bit over the years and uh, particularly in our property investor area because we've actually seen um, uh, so much uh, need for clients to get the right advice in terms of property tax because it's actually not that uh, simpler area, to be honest. So. No, I'm really proud of what we do at uh, WSC Group um, and we basically coverage, uh, have coverage all over Australia in terms of uh, being able to uh, service our clients. Fantastic. Well, that's very interesting, David. What, just out of curiosity, what does WSC stand for? It's a bit of a story to that and uh, I've had mentors over the years and um, the mentors uh, always said to me, never put your own name. Uh, in uh, in your actual business name because uh, someone gets on the phone and rings and uh, says, can I speak to Mr. Shaw, for example? And uh, there's only so many phone calls you can uh, take in a day. And uh, over the years, I've developed a really good team. So uh, originally, uh, WSC stood for myself and a, a former business partner over 10 years ago. It used to be called Wood Shore & Co. And uh, after... Um, 
I like the name still, and we shorten it to an acronym because everyone seems to shorten their names these days. Even the Melbourne Cricket Ground's called the G now, and uh, so we just shorten it to uh, from Woodshaw and Co to WSC. And then, as we got multiple offices, we thought, well, we are a group, um, so that's where WSC Group came from. Uh, we've liked the sound of it, so we've just continued with it. So, what does Shaw do on a day-to-day basis? My day is very varied. Uh, once a week, uh, I get on a plane uh, uh, at the start of the day. Um, but if not, um, I'm doing lots of uh, lots of uh, personal training and walking and keeping my fit self fit nice uh, early in the morning. And uh, basically, I came in and uh, on a given day, we'll um, come into the office, uh, do um, four or five appointments. I'm still very hands-on uh, as CEO. And then a part of my day is also spent uh, guiding and directing staff. So a combination of keeping up with our clients that have up-to-date issues they want to discuss, as well as uh, making sure that the uh, the ship is steered and that uh, our staff are mentored and uh, given the appropriate direction. That's most of the day uh, spent, and it's amazing how fast the day goes. You look up at the, the clock and it's already six o'clock. And, um, that's a sign that I really love what I do during the day because if I didn't, I suppose I'd be clock watching and waiting uh, for every second until the day ends. So uh, days go fast um, and also we do other bits and pieces. Obviously, financial literacy is a big part of our business and we also closely monitor our own financial literacy uh, in our business as well. So I do spend um, a portion of my day monitoring our own business as well as the businesses of our clients. And um, those are probably that probably sums up what happens most days. We do a combination of those three things. Shaw is a born and bred Sydney cider. His family originated from southern Sydney in the suburb of Oatley, where he currently resides. I grew up in uh, always been uh, Sydney born and bred. Uh, grew up in a place called Oatley, and uh, I've actually just mo- recently moved back there in the last. Uh, five years but uh, uh, came from a you know good solid hard-working family and uh, went to uh, Herschel Boys High School a school not of any great note um, but was certainly uh, had a good uh, uh, disciplinary system and certainly uh, we learned a lot from our teachers uh, you know, they did a really really good job so uh, spent time uh, in the St George area a little story about that is uh, everyone asked me um, why I actually um, in the rugby league go for the Sydney Roosters, but uh, uh, that probably is outside the scope of uh, this interview. Um, but I'm born and bred in the St George area, so who can figure that one out? So, uh, um, but that's that's what I did. Uh, did a lot of sports when I was growing up as well. So always loved sport. We had a tennis coach in school. Uh, did cricket. Did a lot of swimming. And I've always carried that through that, you know, into my adult life that uh, you've got to be active uh, outside your working life, doing lots of sport and uh, keeping yourself nice and healthy and fit. For sure, he has always enjoyed both accounting and economics. He completed a Bachelor of Business and considers himself to be a frustrated economist. He says that accounting has always been a big part of his life. It's actually interesting because um, uh, as um, most of your listeners will know um, choosing a career is a very daunting thing and um, 
when I got to year 11 and 12, I really um, enjoyed economics. So uh, sort of when I got to the end of, uh, did the HSC and uh, got admitted to university, I, wanted, I went and did a Bachelor of Business. And in that first year, um, I really enjoyed accounting. Um, so uh, although I was initially attracted to a business degree because of the economics side of things, I actually um, chose a major in accounting while still keeping a sub-major in uh, economics. So I still class myself as a frustrated economist sometimes as well. Um, but we had the dual, uh, I suppose, the dual focus. And um, I, I think I really enjoyed uh, accounting from university. And it's a well-known fact, you either like it or you don't uh, in this industry. But um, certainly I found um, uh, the uh, the accounting in the real world was probably more interesting in um, doing theoretical maths uh, in year 11 and 12. So I sort of uh, dropped that and um, enjoyed the practicality of actually looking at you know, balance sheets and profit and losses and um, becoming financially literate. So I uh, I don't like to admit it. In fact, I tell the joke that uh, I've been an accountant since I was five, but I've been doing it since uh, for 33 years now. And I never really thought about doing anything else uh, in my in my profession in my professional life. And I've always um, done, you know, always been involved in the accounting industry. That's great. I was going to say, gosh, at five years old, I think uh, most of us don't even really know how to um, do any balance and balance sheets and profit and loss statements yet. So, congratulations. I try to, to convince everyone I'm still 38, you know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of losing the battle as the year goes, years go by. You know, so. <laughs> After university, Shaw went on to have a varied career, starting out at Deloitte and then moving on to a private family-run company in which he eventually became the CEO. The experience helped propel him to start his own business. I started off working in Deloitte's and then spent the next 10 years working in manufacturing companies, perhaps back in an age where there was more jobs for accountants in manufacturing. And I think that gave me a really, really good groundwork in terms of analysing financials. And um, actually spent another 10 years with a very well-known privately owned uh, family-run company um, in Australia before I started this this business. And um, so uh, I actually, at the end of that um, part of my career with the family-run company, ended up being CEO of that company and was on the board for many years. So um, I say that was my entrepreneurial apprenticeship and I've taken that through now into WSC Group over the last uh, 15 years. So um, I'm really thankful actually for the very career I've had, um, 15 years basically in public practice and 15 years in commerce, um, you know, operating in what I call um, running real companies. Uh, I have a couple of little philosophies and I think you'd probably appreciate these. Um, Working for yourself is not for the faint-hearted. And I also say that you can't be a good salesman until you're 30. Um, The reason being, particularly in uh, the industry I'm in now in public practice, because most clients look at you and say, well, my child is about your age. And it's very hard to uh, be someone's advisor um, when their kids are about your same age. So I've always said under 30, it's difficult to start your own business. I know there's plenty of successful examples that have done that. Um, but I think the best time to start your own business is somewhere between about 30 and 35. And if you don't do it by the time you're 40, it could be getting too late. 
So uh, I think I've been just feel very blessed to have had that good cross section of um, experience, and um, I love what I do now because I get to see different businesses and different clients in so many different uh, spheres of life, and I think that really has helped me see what does and doesn't work. And plus, I've tried to help our clients, for example, avoid um, what we see other clients do that doesn't work. So, um, yeah, I've had uh, it's been an interesting 33 years. I can't say there's ever been a period where uh, it's been dull and boring, that's for sure. Shaw's advice to young people is to gain what he calls an apprenticeship of experience for 10 years in an industry before trying to launch your own business. He generously spends his spare time mentoring young people from different industries. I was just going to say one thing more that I think a lot of uh, times, you know, uh, young people are very enthusiastic when they finish their degree, um, but they've got to serve their apprenticeship. And I say, say to all young people and I mentor young people in different spheres um, now, you must serve your apprenticeship for a period of about 10 years then you should consider maybe starting your own business in that industry. But uh, 10 years, I think, is a really good time frame uh, for really learning uh, and, and applying your trade under some good mentors. Mm, I totally, totally agree. And did you have any influences from, say, your parents that inspired you to actually get into um, property or even actually even accounting, I should say, at a young age? It's it's really interesting that that point because you hear so many varied stories and I think there's a group of um, people in society that um, you know they they look at their parents and they end up being inspired by their parents' business or what they've done and and follow uh, in that family sort of line so to speak. Um, there's also an, another group of uh, people in society who um, perhaps saw what their parents did and thought, I think I can do better. And they love their parents, but, um, uh, you know, I probably fall more into that group in that uh, my family were very hardworking, um, but only ever had their own house and, and came from that mentality of pay off all your debt, um, don't take much risk. And uh, no one actually in our entire family went on to uh, beyond year 10 at school. So, um they didn't have a lot of advice in a lot of areas for me because they hadn't done it themselves. And although they were very supportive, I was the only person that's ever gone on to year 12, ever done university, uh, ever run my uh, own business. My father ran his own business for many years. Um, but, uh, you know, siblings, the only person that's ever run uh, my own business. Um, so I think it's, um, I really love and appreciate my family and they've done a just so supportive to me um, but I suppose they weren't able to give the support in that area and it's one of the things now that motivates me to um, mentor different young people in business because uh, I know how hard it was sometimes when you couldn't fall back um, with your family and get a little bit of advice. I mean my father died when I was 20 and um, you know uh, the advice wasn't there anyway so um, it, it's really interesting, but I see that a lot with a lot of young people that they haven't really, you know, got a lot of advice. Um, but, you know, the, the, sometimes you just have to make your own way, don't you? Shaw's property investing started around the same time he established WSC Group. 
He realized he had spent a lot of time advising others on wealth creation, but it was time for him to take the plunge. Okay, well, it's a good story. And uh, it's sometimes you're motivated into uh, action because uh, having just spent uh, 10 years and a large privately run firm in about 2002, I decided I was going to start WSC Group. Sometimes you get a bit of a bee in your bond. And I thought, you know what, I've been doing a lot, uh, working very hard for uh, helping a lot of others, but I hadn't really uh, spent a lot of time thinking about uh, my own wealth creation. Yes, I'd bought a house. Yes, I'd, um, you know, I was on my third house by the time uh, 2002 rolled along. But I hadn't really explored uh, too much on the property investing side, except I was very you know, knowledgeable in terms of the tax side of things. And um, I actually went a little bit crazy from about 2002 to 2007 and accumulated over 20 properties in that time. Wow. So I just felt like I was running out of time. And uh, it was probably not a bad time to be doing that because in today's uh, you know, financial world uh, with some of the requirements that banks need. Maybe I wouldn't have got half of those loans now, to be honest. Uh, it's just got so hard to get finance now. Um, but I was very, very motivated um, to really make, a, I suppose, an, an impression on my property investing um, straight away. And uh, interesting, I got in with um, some partners and we started refurbishing properties and uh, we, we went down a number of different paths and uh, some worked well and some didn't work that well. Uh, so I think I've matured in what I'm willing to do. I think probably 12 years ago, I'd have a go at anything. Now I'm a little bit more cautious. For sure, buying investment properties was a result of his self-confessed control freak nature. He has a preference for tangible investments like property that he can see as opposed to having a boardroom of people make financial decisions on his behalf. I think um, a lot of it came down to to the control freak in me is that I had the option, do I um, you know, do more passive share investments, et cetera, or do I do property? And um, I just like something I can touch and feel, you know, I could I can look at a property and can say, yes, I can see that. And uh, I never liked the idea of uh, having people in obscure boardrooms make decisions that might affect my financial well-being. Uh, I've always been the sort of person I'd rather make my own mistakes and um, you know if if I made a mistake well that's bad luck I have to wear it and I think that was a real motivating factor um, for choosing property uh, is that I could see feel uh, and really uh, it was concrete it was a concrete asset uh, to, literally wasn't it you know I mean probably concrete in the asset but you know it's it just it's just the way I was and, and the way I'm wired uh, that made property particularly attractive to me and and still is. For sure, it's no surprise that his most profitable investment so far has been in his properties. He does, however, recognize the need to diversify his portfolio. The only shares uh, I have uh, currently are shares in my own business. Um, the rest of it's invested in property. Although uh, in time, uh, you know, I'll probably diversify a little bit because uh, as much as I love property, um, you probably need to have some liquid assets as well. Uh, so, um, I think my focus still is very much on on property because we know that uh, over time, if you're patient, um, you can make good money. Yes, there's headaches uh, with tenants and other things like that. Uh, you know, and <laughs> I came to work one day, Monday morning and 
the agent rang and said one of your properties is burnt down. And the joke was, oh well, can only get better from only get better from this morning, can't it? <laughs> so we've had a few burnt down. And I'm not saying the property journey is without hassles, um, but I've, I've just loved it anyway. Yeah, um, particularly refurbishing and adding value to properties. That's been a lot of fun over the years. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Shaw's journey as he shares his worst investing moment. I tell you what, my worst investing moment was not doing my research um, properly uh, and actually investing. He shares with us the important difference between investing in commercial properties and residential properties. Business conditions dictate where you should buy. Uh, good business conditions, for example, in Sydney at the moment, business conditions are very good, so commercial rents are strong. We all know that wasn't the case about eight years ago. So. You've got to be willing to ride that um, cyclical, you know, the economic cycle in commercial property. His aha moment. It was a large purchase because it was 16 uh, units all in one lot. And then we proceeded to refurbish those properties uh, and spent about th- um, thirty to 40000 on them, started them and sold them for one hundred and eighty to 190000 So it was around about $50,000 profit on each one of those. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Are you looking at buying or investing in property? Like what are the property hotspots or how do I start my portfolio? Clever ways to renovate and how to make an extra $50,000? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, Learn from the experts at the Property Buy Expo in Brisbane on the 26th to 27th of May. Use the promo code PI for a free 2-day pass valued at $50. For tickets and more information, visit the website at propertybuyexpo.com.au. Now back to the show. For sure, his worst investment moment came when he decided to purchase some commercial property without researching. In spite of his unfortunate investment, he shares some very valuable lessons with us. In this case, it was commercial property uh, in a regional area um, and basically did that on the advice of um, uh, some, some clients who are in the building industry. And what I learned from that um, investment decision is don't take what anyone else says, no matter how knowledgeable or good they are at something. Make sure you do your own research as well um, because one, if it goes wrong, you've got to wear that decision. And I'm a great believer and you can never blame anyone else for a bad decision. You've actually got to wear that decision and take responsibility of it. And I think that was really uh, those commercial properties um, were in hindsight the worst investments I've had. We have plenty of clients who've made fantastic investments in commercial property. So please don't let me think I'm just saying uh, I'm saying commercial is bad because you can have good investments in commercial and residential and bad investments in both. But the worst decisions are made when you don't when you rush into things and you don't properly research. Yeah, that's a really really good and powerful learning lesson for the listeners out there. Can you just tell me a little bit more about how you found out about that particular property and why did you jump into it? Because obviously you said there was um, lack of due diligence, but how how did you come across a property like that and why did you buy it in that area? I had, uh, as I said, uh, large clients who 
um, you know, were doing a lot of work in that area and I was relying on their expertise. And one of the things I've learned is um, the further you are away from a capital city, the more that can go wrong sometimes. And this was in a mining area, uh, not only not exclusively mining, but uh, it was in an area which was somewhat influenced by mining. So when the mining boom basically finished, uh, people left town. And uh, although it wasn't a residential property, um, the, some of the tenants, obviously, at the end of their lease moved out. And that's why the investments become uh, problematic because of the business conditions. And uh, that's the thing about um, commercial properties. Commercial property very closely follows business conditions in an area. So uh, you have to be a little careful um, what you what you do. Um, but look, we it was in a different time as well. It was pre-GFC. Things were motoring along really well. But uh, sometimes after a bit of an economic um, crisis, uh, you know, if you're in fringe areas, you can get yourself into a bit of trouble. And that's precisely what happened in that situation. It's taken about 10 years to get through that. He still owns some of the commercial properties but admits he has sold about half of them so far. At present, we've got challenges with tenants um, but that's okay because we've worked through most of the issues and we know um, you know, what we're, what we're up against and basically have accepted the fact that those properties aren't worth as much as they were. And that's sometimes what happens um, if you, you know, you can get caught. And um, many of the people I've spoken to in recent years, and particularly in residential capital cities, uh, there's probably less chance that's going to uh, happen, particularly with residential. Um, So you just have to be a little bit careful, have a good look at the demographic of the people that live in a certain area where you're going to invest and make sure that area is not susceptible to, you know, large downturns where people leave town, etc. Mm. And was this at the beginning or early part of your investing journey when you started buying properties or was this at what stage? Yeah. It was after that period I went and, uh, you know, my crazy period where I bought lots of properties and it was the first time I'd actually ventured out into commercial properties. So, um, I'm always saying to our clients, no matter how many residential properties you've got, once you go commercial, you've got to have a different mindset about it. So business conditions dictate where you should buy uh, good business conditions. For example, in Sydney at the moment, business conditions are very good, so commercial rents are strong. We all know that wasn't the case about eight years ago. So you've got to be willing to ride that um, cyclical, you know, the economic cycle in commercial property and uh, certainly go into that with your, with your eyes open. Uh, but yeah, no, I'd been, I was experienced enough to probably know a little bit better, to be honest. His aha moment came when he entered into a joint venture with a very experienced property investor and gained a profit. A lot of the residential properties are uh, refurbished blocks of units and, and done some really good things. And I'm really happy with what's happened with those over the years, although, being we've had a couple of slow years. Um, there is always a perfect project and you've got to try to find that perfect project. And uh, what project I did, I had a joint venture partner, it was in 2007. And um, I don't know if you can remember back that far, but uh, Peter Costello and all his wisdom, the former treasurer, uh, was allowing, it's a window of opportunity for, uh, in, uh, for people to actually put a million dollars after tax in the super. And um, 
you know, this was over, you know, you can't obviously do that now. And uh, uh, people were selling properties and actually paying capital gains tax and actually putting their properties into super. Or people that had pre-capital gains tax properties were doing the same and paying no tax. It all sounded really good. Shaw and his joint venture partner saw potential in an understated block of units. The problem is it was about a year before the GS, uh, GFC and um, we bought a property, uh, 16 units uh, in a regional area, a really good, strong regional area, 60,000 population. And uh, we, um, the actual vendor needed to sell these properties uh, and they hadn't started them. So uh, they had to sell them all in one line, and we bought those properties for $93,000 each, uh, all being it was a large purchase because it was 16 uh, units all in one lot. And then we proceeded to refurbish those properties uh, and spent about thirty to 40000 on them, started them and sold them for one hundred and eighty to 190000 So it was around about $50,000 profit on each one of those. So it was a, a very healthy property profit uh, that we shared over a two-year period um, with our um, with my joint venture partner and um, we were just in the right place at the right time uh, and a good rule to to learn as opposed to the mistakes I've made is have a really good joint venture partner with you as experienced in property because this joint venture partner was very experienced and he looked at the deal and he said we've got to do this and and trusting him and knowing him like I did, I said, yep, okay, let's do it. And uh, that was a really great deal. And he sort of forced me to sell the whole lot, uh, even though I didn't want to sell them and hold on to them. And that worked out well because uh, prices sort of really um, flatlined for many years after that. So sometimes it's actually in a refurbishment like that, you're better off to do the work, um, sell them, take the profit and uh, move on to the next project, so to speak. Shaw realised the importance of being patient when it comes to property investing to know your property cycles and not to let emotions get in the way when making big decisions about property. That particular vendor had owned that property since pre-GFC. The sad thing for that vendor is they sold that property um, you know, for over a million dollars, put that money into super and probably lost half of it during the GFC. And if that owner was just more patient, they could have refurbished that property themselves and started it themselves. And I'm sure they would have done about three times as well. Um, and I think that's really a moment I look back and go, ah, that's what we've always got to remember. When you get frustrated when you've owned a property for a long time and you get a bit sick of it and sometimes you just want to get rid of it, think twice and think about where you are in the economic and the property cycle because we have many stories of clients that said, if only I kept that property, <laughs> I, w- I would still, uh, you know, it would now be worth three times that. And I think that was an example of we picked up something that someone else had done all the hard work for and in a very short period had probably made the profit they should have made. So it's a good lesson to learn. Um, when you're a little frustrated, don't do anything rash, uh, particularly when you've owned a property for a long time. So, inspired by Shaw's story and his aha moment, we'll continue the conversation in a future episode on Property Investory, where we'll talk about what was holding him back initially. My father-in-law was uh, one person that helped me back a little bit. He was always questioning, saying, why am I doing this? And uh, it got me maybe a little bit 
a little bit doubting myself in terms of mindset. The resources he recommends for successful property investing? The original book I, I read was a book by a guy called John Fitzgerald, The House Seven Steps to Wealth. And I've had a lot to do with him over the years. And his, he was very uh, certainly keen on uh, helping. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening.